Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey everybody, how's everyone doing? Happy Tuesday. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Charlotte. I want to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento. Uh, but we're 45 strong up and down the state of California, which means if you have a paranormal issue going on and you think you might need help, we can do that. It might take us a while to get to you because even though we have people like spread around the state, California is a huge state. So you know, sometimes we can't get to you right away, but we do have sensitives on staff who can call you and, may, and maybe talk to you about what you think might be going on and settle things down before we get out there. That's one of the pluses. Anyway, welcome to the show, California Haunts Radio. Uh, we got a great show for you tonight. Our old friend Preston Dennett is here, and we're going to be talking about UFOs and drive-ins, or at the drive-in, rather. So that's a really, really cool topic, and I'm real excited to talk to him about that. Before we get going, let's get a few things out here. If you're watching from Facebook and you like what you see tonight, feel free to give me a thumbs up, give me a heart, show me some love. Because the more you do that for me, the more I love you. No, the more you do that for me, makes me all warm and fuzzy. Uh, the more you do that for me, it, it moves it up in the uh, Facebook algorithm so that Facebook will you know, put us out everywhere. So that's what we want. Same thing with YouTube. If you're watching from YouTube and you like what you see tonight, feel free to hit the thumbs up and show me some love over there, too, because we want to keep raising ourselves in the algorithm. So far, it's been going really well. A lot more people are seeing us, and we're real excited about that. Okay? Also, if you're watching from Facebook and you haven't done so yet, feel free to, and you want to, of course, feel free to uh, follow. Follow us. We have different topics every night. I'm a journalist. I hate being on the same topic all the time, so I'll vary it. So we have a lot of different topics that I think you guys would like. If you go look at our YouTube page, uh, not only do we have the different topics over there, there's 861 videos sitting over there, all different topics. I've been putting them into categories now so that you can find stuff easier. For instance, if you want to see all our shows with Preston, you can go over there under UFOs and abductions, and you can go in there and check it out, and Preston's all, all his stuff is over there, so it's like without having to search through 800 some odd videos, right, because otherwise you got to search through a whole lot of videos, so check it out, and same thing over there, if you haven't subscribed yet, feel free to do so, because we're always looking for subscribers, and uh, yeah, anyway, tonight's show is going to be fun, Preston's always fun to have on, let me move some wires around here so I don't make horrible clunking noises, Preston's always fun to have on, and this is about his fourth or fifth time on the show. So we love to have Preston on, and I'm, I've been looking forward to this all week. So without further ado, let's bring in the man of the hour. Good evening. Hello. How are you? <laughs> How are you? Welcome back. Thank you. Yeah, I'm doing well. Welcome back to the show. We're really excited to have you. Always a pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> well, really quick, for the people that don't know who you are, tell them about you. 
Oh gosh, about me. Okay. Um, I came into this field as a skeptic, didn't believe it, but I found out that my sister-in-law had seen a UFO and gray ETs. My other sister-in-law had seen little blue beings. My brother and his friends saw a UFO, chased it down Reseda Boulevard in Southern California, where we lived. Uh, had a good family friend, Sylvia was her name, who saw an egg-shaped UFO hovering over her house. She had a witness with her as well. Another friend, Mark Grant, was with his friend, and they saw uh, three objects which swooped on towards them. I think they had missing time, honestly. I didn't recognize it in the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, people at the office where I worked, at least three of them had really dramatic encounters. One had missing time as well. Mm -hmm. They were chased by a UFO. <laughs> I mean, so this, I mean, it hit home for me. This Absolutely. was all 1986. Yeah. So. Mm. What makes me wonder about you talking about all the people around you that saw and experienced something? I wonder if it's like psychic abilities, because when a person is psychic, they tend to draw psychics to them. Yeah. I mean, I certainly considered that. I was... <laughs> really kind of floored. I'm like, what is it? Is it because I'm living in California and we're kind of weird here? You know, is, it, is it a hot spot? You know, is this normal? But, I mean, are there really this many encounters? Because I certainly didn't think that was the case. I now do. I really do. I think this is just a lot more common than people realize. Absolutely. And I, I spoke with somebody last night too, and she was telling me how, you know, her stuff started like in the 80s and 90s. And people weren't as open to talk about it either, like they are now. Yeah. And that's where you hear more about it. Exactly. I was, yeah, I asked, you know, particularly my family, like, why would you, why would you keep this secret from me? And they mm -hmm. all said the same thing. You, you would not have believed me. Mm -hmm. They had tried to tell others and they were right. You know, I was skeptical. I kind of grew up that way. I was very much into science. I was sure the stars were too far away. I'd heard reports of UFOs and even ETs a few times, but I don't know. It sounded kind of Star Trek, science fiction-y to me. I, don't, I had all these false assumptions, which just weren't true. I honestly thought, Charlotte, that people who saw UFOs <laughs> were not educated. Right. That, that they were either hoaxing, hallucinating, or misperceiving. Which, I would like that, too. Yeah, I mean, that turns out that's the Air Force party line that's what right. they really wanted you to think and they spent a lot of money a lot of time and effort to put that narrative forth uh, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Upsetting. I, remember, I remember how skeptical i was even at the of, the of the paranormal at first before i started to really get into it and i remember i had i went to cover uh, my good friend nancy matz over at the sacramento city cemetery doing her psychic tour and i had talked with dennis hawk earlier in the day and i know and he, he had is, told yeah. me that 110 people had been abducted by aliens in Sacramento. And I just looked at my photographer and went, you know, <laughs> we go out to the cemetery. And we, we, we got there just that, just before the whole thing started. And I, I look at the people that signed up and there were 109 people that signed up for the tour. And I looked at my photographer and I just, I just smiled and I went, and they've all been abducted. <laughs> you know, so that's how I was until <laughs> that turning point that everybody has, you know, when you become a believer in the stuff. Yeah. Well, according to statistics and polls, if you have a hundred people, there's going to be at least two or three in that group. 
who are what we would call contactees. But okay. here's here's how skeptic I was, Charlotte. I saw my mother's spirit. She died in 1984, and it was a few months later we had a service for her, and I saw her full-colored apparition right in front of me. And just like, mm, nope, <laughs> I'm not seeing that. I'm hallucinating. I mean, I honestly didn't even think spirit or ghost. Right. I just thought, you know, I'm losing my mind with grief. Yeah. Uh, now I've, <laughs> yeah, I've changed my mind. I think there, there was something going on there because later stuff would kind of confirm that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I did, but my mom, I I bathed her after she passed away in a certain in a certain smelly type of soap. And then no sooner did they come get her, you know, to take her to the coroner's office, we could smell her all over the house that night. There you go. She was wow. hanging out with us. So it was kind of cool, you know, so that was pretty much. So now when she comes back, I can tell it's her because I can smell her. Right. So it's yep. kind of cool. <laughs> well, as you know, that's one of the ways spirits manifest. Yep. And there's many. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about your book. UFOs yeah. at the drive-in. Tell me a little bit of how that came about. Isn't that in an interesting topic? I and mean, who knew <laughs> that there were, you know, I, I call the book UFOs at the drive-in. And these are drive-in theaters, you know, not drive-through restaurants or anything. And it's not about uh, movies like The Day the Earth Still Stood Still or anything like that. These are about actual firsthand eyewitness accounts of UFOs over drive-in theaters. And I had a very early case myself from a lady at work, Claudia Blasios, who found out I was a UFO researcher. And boy, was she excited to talk to me because when she was a little kid in 1972, I think it was 71, 72, she went to the Paramount Driving Theater, Southern California, with her family. And this UFO, <laughs> classic saucer, drops down right next to the screen. I'm like, Claudia, really? And she's like, honest to God, Preston. She first noticed it because people were dropping their popcorn and their drinks and running to their cars and driving off with the speakers still attached to their cars. <laughs> and, and she looks out the window and, of course, there's this saucer. She says it's almost as wide as the screen itself. Shiny, shiny silver. She says like a, a spoon, chrome, kind of. Almost totally silent, making a whooshing noise. Mm -hmm. And they watched it for a while. You know, they stayed there. Most people left. And finally, it went straight up, but they didn't talk about it. They completely forgot about it. There was a weird sort of amnesia associated with this, which makes me wonder, because that turns up in other cases. But that was my introduction and didn't think much of it. I thought this was a one-off. I did not think this was a thing until years later, actually. I was writing UFOs over Colorado and ran into three cases in a row. I'm like, gosh, you know, I've... I think I do know of other cases because I certainly knew of that one from Claudia. Mm -hmm. And I dug deep. And this is when I, I've been researching the subject for 30 years at this point, 35, and thought, you know, I hadn't heard it all. I, every now and then you get surprised, but this surprised me. Oh man, did it surprise me because I dug deep into the UFO databases. I have some really good resources now in terms of like news clippings. Mm -hmm. And that's where I found over a hundred cases. Wow. Yes, a hundred. <laughs> and these are so unique in the UFO literature. Because, I mean, there's probably a million recorded 
UFO sightings. I don't think I'm overestimating that. I mean, there's it's just hundreds upon hundreds of thousands for decades and decades. Uh, but these are different because there's a few main things that make these different. One is that these are very low level. These cases are not someone outside at night and like, look, a UFO is flying by. Right. I, I discarded those cases. These are ones where the theater is targeted and they drop down to very low level. Uh, I mean, coming from the horizon or maybe up above, but usually some direction and come to the, the right above the screen, almost always right above the screen or to the side. So there's that. Second thing was that they will put on a display. These objects want to be seen because these are long lasting sightings. Mm -hmm. That's unusual. Most sightings are a quick flyby. Mm -hmm. These stay there sometimes for 20 minutes, an hour or the entire duration of the film. That's a little more rare, but it does happen. And they will flash their lights. They will dart around. There's some cases where they're releasing smaller craft. So they're clearly wanting to be seen. That's an important fact. And what makes these cases really unique and really unlike anything out there is that there's so many witnesses. We're talking a minimum of 100 witnesses in these cases. These are driving theaters. They hold two, three, four, five hundred people. So we're, I mean, there's nothing like that out there. No. I looked, at, I looked into sporting events. I'm like, yeah, there's a few. Um, you know, music concerts, a couple. Uh, the only thing that's at all comparable are schoolyard UFO encounters. I was thinking of that, yeah. Yeah, which I think we may have talked about. Yeah, we did. Now the question I have is, is are there any reports of missing time during these things at all? Not directly. I think in some ways, kind of tangentially, there is. Because with Claudia's case, they didn't remember. That's oh. a red flag. They didn't remember for years until they were listening to the radio. And some mm -hmm. guy called in and said, oh, I was at the Paramount Theater. <sighs> This movie was playing and this thing came down and people were rushing for the exits. And Claudia turned to her mother and was like, oh my gosh, we were there, weren't we? And I was like, yeah. Claudia says, why didn't we talk about it? I don't even remember it until now. And her mother just was completely baffled. And I've got at least, you know, in the book on the that I put out, uh, five cases like that, mm -hmm. probably closer to 10. So, I mean, one really points towards I think possible missing time. Mm -hmm. um, a couple of them. Yeah, I just recently found another, <laughs> which has multiple witnesses, by the way. A lot of these do rest on the testimony of, say, one family. Mm -hmm. or, but one that took place in uh, southern Mississippi uh, had three or four witnesses, all of who forgot it. And like one lady's, her boyfriend was there. He doesn't remember it. One guy, his whole family was there. He's the only one who, who remembers it. They all think they're crazy. <laughs> it's like, what are you talking about? And, and it came back to them afterwards. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's entirely possible this was a mass onboard experience. Well, it would be interesting to find, you know, if there was more research out there. Not that you haven't done your research because you're very thorough when you do do your research. I've read, I've read a lot of your books. Because that would be easy pickings. If you if you were coming in from another planet to, you know, get to, to, to uh, 
do abductions. I mean, what better place to do it than to drive in? Everybody's in their car. You know, they're all sitting there. They're all prone. Boom, suck them up and throw them back in. Yeah, all laid back, having fun. Yeah. That yeah. was one of the theories, you know, because I, I I put out a little call online, like, has this happened to you? And the, it created some buzz about this topic. And a lot of people said, yeah, I think it's probably just easy pickings. Because mm -hmm. I was looking for theories as to why yeah. this is going on. And some people said, well, are they watching the movie? I'm like, hmm, I don't think so. Because usually they're above the screen where you can't see the movie or to the side. Uh, not in all cases. There's a couple where they're up there and for the full, you know, like I said, hour or two. Mm -hmm. I saw, I, so I was looking at the movies. <laughs> and uh, no, I don't think so. Outlaw Josie Wales, Jurassic Park, The Simpsons movie. Um, Exorcist. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> I wonder what they think about that one. <laughs> yeah, that concerns me. <laughs> like, oh, I hope they're not judging us on that. <laughs> but yeah, I wondered about that. And I don't think that's it. Um, I wondered, because some people said, well, maybe they're just studying our emotions. Because there's some talk about that. Mm -hmm. And I seriously considered that. But ultimately, I think I figured out the agenda behind this. I am speculating, but I think I've, once I started getting into the meteor cases, you know, the really extensive ones, I'm like, ooh, mm -hmm. I know what's going on here. <laughs> I, I, I think I know exactly what they're doing. Can you share a little bit of that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, the earlier cases were more brief. This is a subject that wasn't really well accepted. Right. Uh, so the early accounts really only came from military officers because that's all the reporters would listen to. <laughs> and uh, they, they were generally pretty brief. But once we started getting into the 70s, there were some cases. I think the case that really clinched it for me, well, there were a couple. One was, uh, let me see, I think the case that really turned, turned it around for me was a case in Mentor, Ohio. Mm -hmm. And this is actually mid-1960s, so one of the earlier really dramatic ones. Right next to a schoolyard encounter, by the way, just by coincidence. Uh, but yeah, a cigar-shaped object came down very low level, and it hovered there for about a half an hour. And they actually turned off the movie. Uh, they turned, you know, they called the projection booth and turn it off, turn it off. <laughs> They're going to see us. You know, some people were frightened. Uh, and, and no one was watching the movie anyway, so... Right. Everyone's looking at this thing, at which point the, the real show begins. <laughs> I think these ETs know that they're being observed and they're putting on a show. Mm -hmm. This kind of speaks to, to the agenda because this cigar-shaped object, which was horizontal, turns vertical and starts ejecting uh, disks. One, two, three, ten disks, which start doing the whole gyration thing, going in circles and darting and hovering and starting all around for about 20 minutes then suddenly line up in a row and dunk, 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 <laughs> go back into the still vertical cigar shaped object, which turns back to horizontal and darts away. And when I heard that, I'm like, okay, there, this is very much intentional. This is obviously wanting to be seen. They are putting on what researchers call a display. This is a well-known type of UFO behavior. Yeah. And there were others very similar to that. So I thought, okay, they want to be seen. They're mm -hmm. introducing themselves. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, why? Why would they do that? 
you know, why is it so important to announce their presence? Because we do see this in the schoolyard encounters. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is the behavior that kept on happening. I mean, there was a theater in Canada that they came so many times, the owners of the theater put it in the marquee. <laughs> you want to see the UFOs? Come to the theater. <laughs> so it's, it's, in essence, advertising. That's what they're doing. It's a publicity campaign. They're announcing their presence. And I think, and again, I'm speculating here, but this is the trend we're seeing. Right. I think we're moving towards open official contact at some point. I, I honestly do. They're trying to acclimatize us to their presence so that when they do come down, we won't freak out. Right. It kind of makes me think of, you know, when people go see the Thunderbirds and the Blue Angels. You know, we're, we're showing off our military might, you know, and this is what our guys can do. And it's kind of like, like you say, they're putting on this display to say, look, this is us. You know, this is, this is what we do for, for fun or whatever, you know, just to, just like you say, to get us used to seeing them. Exactly. Because uh, the, the, the best cases of this kind are so in your face. They're so low. I mean, it's so mm -hmm. obviously that there was another one that really impressed me, which came from George Fawcett, a very early pioneering researcher who I really respect, mm -hmm. this was at the Wellington Circle Twin in Medford, Massachusetts, 1963. And two discs came down, doink, and then two more right above it, <laughs> and then two more, and then two more. So now there was two columns of four discs each. And they hovered there, and then they started doing sort of a musical chairs motion. <laughs> Uh, and put this show on for 45 full minutes. Wow. Uh, before suddenly lining up again and then doom, 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 doom. They all darted off. So, I mean, what are they doing if this is not a display? Mm -hmm. Well, you think because do you think that they realize that they're hovering over like a, like an outdoor movie theater and that's why they're doing this because they figure everybody's there, they can watch them? Uh, yeah. Well, one thing I did notice was I started, you know, looking up driving theaters online and mm -hmm. getting aerial photos of them. And you can see them from very high up. These are very distinctive footprints, geographically speaking. And if you have the giant screen and this huge beam of light, UFOs are all about beams of light, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, you could easily see these things from outer space, especially with their optics. Mm -hmm. Shoot, we, we I'm sure our own satellites can see, you know, we know they can read a newspaper or fine print. So surely the UFOs can do this. Uh, so, yeah, and like you said, easy pickings. It's there's 400 people right there. We can convince in three minutes <laughs> and boom, we have because, you know, I, with 100 cases, I'm guessing that that's the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. We know as UFO researchers that one in 100 people will report their encounter to a newspaper, police, mm -hmm. MUFON, or, you know, New Fork, the UFO reporting centers. Most people don't even know about the Mutual UFO Network, even to this day, uh, or the National UFO Reporting Center. Right. So you can time that uh, 100 cases, say times by 10, you know, that's 1,000. Times by 100, no, that's 10,000. Right. What's, what's 10,000 times 400? <laughs> um, gosh, we're looking at 400,000 400, people. Is that right? 40,000? <laughs> no, I think it's 400,000. 
Yeah, with some other people. <laughs> you got me wondering. I have a there's a drive-in about probably about a half mile to two miles from where I live. It's one of the super ones with with the six screens. Now you've got me wondering about that. Yeah, I remember going to drive-ins a lot more when I was a kid. They kind of phased out in the '80s, uh -huh. but I looked them up, and there's still several hundred operating drive-in theaters. But back, you know, they started around in the '40s. But boy, were they huge in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Yeah. It was considered the number one, get this, the number one American pastime. And they did everything they could to make them popular, and it worked. They had, you know, petting zoos and balloon rides and carnivals and <laughs> snack stands, of course, and movie star appearances. And, I mean, you name it, they brought it in to bring people in, and it worked. So it was hugely popular. They're still a lot cheaper than going to the movie theater. Yeah, funner in a way. You know, you uh -huh. can sit in your own car and you can bring your girlfriend, your boyfriend, and make out. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they were still, uh, I think they're still popular making a comeback because, you know, people doing social distancing and yada, yada. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that, this was one of the reasons why that ET's recognized an opportunity to, hey, you know, we can take advantage of this. Mm -hmm. This is a great way to show people they're relaxed, they're wanting entertainment. Uh, this is a very effective way. And most of these, the vast majority are simple sightings. Uh, you know, like I said, there is some indication of onboard experiences, but mm -hmm. not a whole lot. There's very few that involve sightings of humanoids. And it's people looking up at the UFO and there's portholes and they see people looking down at them. There's, there's a mouthful. <laughs> having a body of Betty Hill, right? I mean, he, that's what he saw. Exactly. He saw looking few, portholes at him. <laughs> uh, there's a few cases like this. And, you know, I, I found most of these in the literature, but of course I was able to trace some of these firsthand. Mm -hmm. you know, one of my favorite was a guy I interviewed, Pat Mitchell, who was at the South Hutch Theater in Hutchinson, Kansas. This is one of my favorites. This was in 1966. And he's 19 years old, right? And going to see a James Bond movie with his friend. Mm -hmm. And they got there early. They wanted a good spot in the center of the parking lot. It was a brand new screen. Like, gosh, what was it? A 120 feet high, 52 feet wide. Uh, so this was a big new theater modern snack stands. They got their popcorn, they hooked up the speaker, the movie started and it got to the climax, right? And this is often when it'll happen. It's usually at the beginning, you know, the pre-show <laughs> or right when it gets going. Mm -hmm. And it was, the movie was great. He said, he doesn't remember which James Bond movie it was specifically. Most people don't remember the movie. They remember the show, <laughs> that came, <laughs> the UFO show. Uh, but he remembers it was James Bond when his friend points to the side of the screen and says, what is that? Do you see that? And of course he did. It was this big blazing bright light that's getting bigger and bigger. And it took maybe two to five minutes tops to become clear that this was coming towards them. And boom, it's there right next to the screen, below the level of the top of the screen, uh, about three-fourths the width of the screen itself. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at a 40-foot wide craft. Mm -hmm. and had little colored lights around the perimeter. It's totally silent. 
sometimes these things come and people freak out. Nobody did. They just stared in awe. People were getting out of their cars, standing on top, just looking at it. He, you know, the guy I interviewed, Pat, and his friend stayed in their car and were just looking at it through the windshield. <laughs> and here's how I know that they want to be seen because this craft stayed there for five minutes, which is a long time. Right. Went behind the screen till it was completely occluded by the screen itself. Mm -hmm. Came out the other side, <laughs> rose up about 50 to 100 feet, they estimate. Stayed there five minutes. And then it made sure that everyone could see it by going completely around the theater once. One full revolution. <laughs> and then went over the road to the entrance of the theater. Stopped a second there and then started traveling right down the road at about 20 miles an hour. Right above the highway. Now, if this is random right the ufo would not follow the road but it did and pat says that he and about 50 other cars tore out of that theater <laughs> he was not the first out because of where they parked but right. you know about 10th or 15 drove in convoy following this object which was still moving slowly kind of just lollygagging down the road for get this six miles which is Whoa good distance yeah and finally it stops again now it's a good two three hundred feet up but you know that's not far when you're no. that's what the type the height of a couple a eucalyptus tree maybe right, <laughs> I mean, it's, right. it's not that high or so and uh, it stayed there and they're all looking at it like it's a ufo <sighs> oh my gosh and people are like oh, i'm gonna tell the newspaper about he worked at the newspaper as a photographer mm-hmm so everyone was talking, I'm going to go straight to the newspaper and report this. And uh, finally, it just went straight up. It was this tiny little dot in the sky. It looked like a star and then off into outer space. Wow. Uh, so he waits the next day to read the newspaper article. I thought, well, maybe it'll take another day because it didn't come out. And after mm -hmm. three days, no news story. So he, he knows them. You know, he's given them pictures, mm -hmm. photographs. He didn't bring his camera that day. He was really laments that, but who brings a camera to a movie theater? Right. <laughs> so, but he goes to the newspaper office and he knows some of them there. And he's like, where's the, what about the UFO? You know, at the South Hutch. And they played dumb. He started asking all of them and they said, we don't know anything about it. And he knew that was not true. Mm -hmm. because he had friends who had reported it and he confirmed that. And that's when rumors were flying around Hutchinson that the military had actually showed up and quashed the story, said, you will not print this. Um, I couldn't confirm that. I mean, this is, you know, his testimony. But it affected him for the rest of his life. <laughs> he goes out at night and looking up at the sky. His, his children and grandchildren are like, what are you doing, Daddy? <laughs> He's like, well, here's, I saw this UFO once. And they kind of just shake their head. <laughs> He's like, mm, believe it or not. I believe it because there's so many cases like this. Right. Right. So how long did it take you to research this book? Oh, gosh, the research took, well, you know, I've gotten better at it. So it wasn't a full year, but it was close to it. And I kind of wish I had taken a little bit longer because I did get new cases. And of course, when a book comes out, people are like, oh, this happened to me. <laughs> so I've gotten, you know, 10 or 20 new cases. But what I didn't do, which someone asked me once, and I kind of like kicked myself for it, was call up the theater owners themselves. 
say hey because they're there every day right right but, so that could be a good great follow-up research project uh would be to just call these theater owners up even if i if i could find them and i do have modern cases by the way all the way up to 2018 i think uh which aren't as quite dramatic as some of the earlier ones but yeah i mean this was big through the 50s 60s 70s petered out in the 80s but was still continuing in the 90s 2000s and 2010s so that's, that's my next, yeah that's my next idea if i can pull myself away from the next book i'm already writing because <laughs> um, i know i know there's more cases out there i just found one not too long ago a brand new one in a you know newspaper article right right because these weren't in books i found one in a book by Ryan Sprague. So right. shout out to Ryan for his book, Somewhere in the Skies, because uh, he had one case and I did track down his witness, uh, Scott Santa is his name and interviewed him. And boy, was that a case. Oh my, he, I mean, it just blew my mind because it was one of the most extensive of this kind. Mm -hmm. He was again, a young man watching a movie with his friend. He doesn't remember the movie, <laughs> uh, but this was a big theater. And uh, suddenly, you know, he's watching the movie. It's just beginning. So there's some cars still pulling in. Mm -hmm. And suddenly there's this, this huge object, kind of boomerang shaped, blackish, coming over the theater. And it knocks out the power in the theater, in the snack stand, and in every car that had lights on or anything, wow. all the lights around the theater, everything went pitch black. He said he heard this really low thrumming noise. It covered the entire expanse of the parking lot itself. So we're talking hundreds of feet, easy. Mm -hmm. and, and he says it was not that high over the screen. Uh, people, I think, have a tendency to descri describe them a little bit lower than they are. Right. You know, saying you could reach out and touch it or throw a rock at it is how he put it. So I'm guessing it's probably 100 feet, 200. I don't know. Could be even a little bit higher, but not much. Mm -hmm. And he got out of the car, as did a lot of people. Everyone was totally silent. His ears popped. There was atmosphere change. Uh, and he says you could almost feel the heaviness of it. It became eerily quiet, except for the thrumming noise. Mm -hmm. And this thing didn't stop as far as they saw. It just moved slowly over from the screen back towards the projection booth and off into the distance, at which point, like a, uh, you know, a switch is flipped, just whoosh, the, the movie goes back on, the cars that got stalled start coming back in, the snack stand goes up, and everyone gets back in their car like sheep. And nobody says a word. Mm -hmm. Nobody's talking about it. Nobody remembers. He didn't remember and didn't remember for a couple of years until he walked into a bookstore <laughs> and saw Ed Ruppelt's book, the guy from Project Blue Book, who put out a book called UFO. And he saw the word UFO. And that's what I call a cue, a trigger. You know, Whitley Strieber's book with the face on it? Right, right, right. Uh, well, a, a, probably the most clear example of what I would call a trigger, mm -hmm. which causes people to remember. And the word UFO is enough. And he remembered. Uh, he's not been able to locate anyone else. 
uh, couldn't find his friend. So he, he doesn't have the confirmation a lot of witnesses <laughs> would love to have. Right. Uh, so it's hard to say, but I asked him, did you have any dreams about being on board or anything like that? He's like, no, no, I can't say I did. Because mm -hmm. that would be another red flag. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. I think that that's unusual. And that's a close encounter, at least of the second kind, in that it affected the environment. Right. Absolutely. And there are, you know, there are other cases where the screen on the movie started wavering <laughs> or uh, it, it became really staticky or knocked the theater out, the, uh -huh. the projection. That's more rare, but there are a few cases like that. It's just too bad that more people haven't come forward with these cases. Because, I mean, like you say, there'd be so much... Um, cooperation with it you know of, of what people have seen exactly yeah and i'm surprised that this kind of slid under the radar even with mm -hmm. you know among ufo researchers right it's a pretty prominent pattern and i know hands down 100 percent black and white our government does know about it because i found the documents mm -hmm. that were released through the freedom of information act from project blue book cases dating back to 1950 when this started. And the case that really clinched it for me occurred at the terrorist drive-in in Bakersfield in 1952. This is in Southern California. Uh -huh. And uh, the main witness was, of course, a military guy. Uh, but there was hundreds of people at the terrorist drive-in when this cigar-shaped object, probably saucer-shaped, but from a, you know, a certain angle, it looks like a cigar shape, right? Right. But because most of them are saucer shaped or boomerang or egged, uh, but it comes drops down out of the sky, comes right above the screen, stays there for just moments, appears to either turn on its side or flash all of these lights at the theater goers. <laughs> it's funny because in some of these cases, people are honking their horn and flashing their lights back, and there's this back and forth that didn't really occur in this case because huh. it was so quick right. and it takes off. So this guy uh, gets to a phone and calls the local sheriff's office. Sheriff Leroy Hatfield uh, took the call and said, okay, you know, I've got the report. Hung up and the phone rang again. It was another person. He took four calls in a row. And when he got the fifth call, he's like, hang up. I'm going to just go to the theater. You can meet me there. Uh, and he got there because it wasn't far. And there were still 100 people there. And they're all just talking and talking. And he, he takes the report that people lined up <laughs> in a row in a line to, to tell him what they saw. Mm -hmm. And he write, writes it all down. He takes the testimony of 30 people. And other people wanted to give the reports. He's like, that's enough. My arm's tired. I got a good idea what you saw. I will report it to the Air Force. Mm -hmm. And he did. He sent up a report, wrote it up, and sent it to Edwards. Edwards Air Force Base was the closest major air force base right and there's the documents I, i've seen them myself you can look these up online uh he sent it to uh edwards air force base and a project blue book well pre-project blue book i don't think it was called blue book at the time project Bridge, or, or, or something like that but they took the report and it was a very they took it extremely seriously all the details were there and they marked the report action in big red letters and they sent it to write pat the commanding general 
at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio. Wow. And Wright-Pat, if you're a UFO researcher or, you know, at all into this subject, you know about Wright-Patterson. Right. <laughs> That's where they allegedly sent some of the Roswell debris. It's where we study foreign aircraft. Mm-hmm. And that report didn't go to just to Wright Pat. It went to Ent Air Force Base in Colorado, where we track incoming and outgoing traffic, air traffic, and get this to the head of intelligence at Washington, D.C. And I got another case just like that, same routine. So they knew from the early 50s, and we know they knew earlier than that, but mm-hmm. here it is in black and white that they knew about the drive-in theaters being attracted because there's multiple cases. And still, you know, several of these did reach Blue Book. And not one, not a single one was declared unidentified. They always said, it's a balloon. You know, do more research into balloons in the area. They knew it wasn't balloons. They scrambled jets after them in several of these cases, chased them away. So (laughs) they knew, 100% they knew. Yeah, but they have to know by now. You know, there's got to be something in there where they know by now. I mean, this, if, when, you, when you hear the debunking of it, it's always the same thing. It's always the same thing they're saying. Like you say, it's always a balloon. It's always, well, we have, maybe there's an air squad in the area doing maneuvers and all this other stuff. It's always the same thing over and over. So uh, they know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very frustrating because that's our tax dollars at work. And I don't want to pay for that. <laughs> but that, I mean, that really angers me. This is why I do research like this, because that's not fair. People right. deserve to know this. They know. What do they think? We can't handle it. They can handle it. Or maybe they can't. <laughs> well, when you talk about this, it's funny because you got people that will run away from it because they're afraid of it. Then you got the guys sitting in the cars, like you say, honking the horns and, and, and flashing their headlights. So you got you got you got two types of crowds. So yeah. it's just it's crazy. Yeah, there was one in uh June of 1975, this was in Scarborough, Maine, the Portland Twin <laughs> Theaters, a twin theater, right? So there's two screens. Uh-huh. This object comes over one of them and people panic. They just take off. The, the main witness was one of like just a few cars that stayed there. And he says they were driving off with the speakers still attached. You know, remember yeah. you had little speakers that attached. I remember those, yeah. <laughs> and uh, this, this theater had, or this um, object had done its job with the one screen goes over to the other, which was some distance away. You couldn't have them too close because mm-hmm. uh, the sounds and stuff. Right. Went over the other one, hovered over that, and cleared that one out. <laughs> they all panicked in, in that case. Most know they don't panic. People are just in awestruck. Mm-hmm. Now, the Colorado case that I really got me to write this book, it came down and people started flashing their lights at it, and it flashed lights back at them. <laughs> so bright that they, people couldn't even really look at the object because they know how to do lights uh, better than we do, for sure. I mean, they have beams of light that can levitate you and do all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So, but yeah, there's. I love those cases where there's give and take because <laughs> <laughs> that makes me wonder, like, who's inside these UFOs and what are they thinking? Are these, someone asked me that, it's like, do you think they're teenagers in there? <laughs> Just having a joyride on a weekend? <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to rule it out. No, you never know, huh? You never know. Yeah, I've also yeah. heard of them allowing um, abductees to drive. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In my book, Symmetry, uh, yeah. Dolly Saffron was taught how to pilot the craft. 
Yeah. And this is not uncommon. Yeah. She, she won't use the word abductee, um, right. which has got negative Contact connotation. Me. Yeah. <laughs> I got well, to I got I to remember to say that. I got I to gotta write it down in big letters over here somewhere. So I always remember. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's important. It really is because we have to sort of be very careful how we talk about these things. Right. It's very, very fear-based in the media and it's not warranted. Right. Um, right. I understand right. that people do have frightening encounters or a strong fear reaction, I should mm -hmm. say. But I've looked very carefully at how ETs behave. And while, yeah, it's frightening to be physically examined, this is when people are being healed. Mm -hmm. And the onboard experience is benevolent in its, in its essence, mm -hmm. in that people aren't being tortured or hurt right. or you know, intentionally frightened. Right. They're doing their best to calm you down. They're healing you. I wrote a whole book on that. I'll give you a tour of the craft. I'll give you messages, which are very important. Warning about nuclear proliferation. I've talked about this many right. times. And, uh, you know, they are so insistent that people wake up psychically. Mm -hmm. I mean, in its essence, in its objective sequence of events, it's a very positive and benevolent experience. It's just that people are so scared mm -hmm. of all things that different that they often do have a strong fear reaction. And that's true with these driving theater sightings. And it's just a sighting. <laughs> They're not doing anything to you. They're just showing you. Like, look, we're here. Since so, you've written the book, have you found that <clears throat> there are people coming to you with information about this now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've gotten 10 or 20 new cases. I'm going to, at some point, if I get any more, because a couple of these cases were really good. I mean, that one I mentioned in Mississippi, but had right. multiple witnesses. Right. Some really interesting aspects to it. Uh, I'm going to have to put out another book because, you know, if, if I can contact some theater owners and get some more really good cases, mm -hmm. kind of get a new angle, maybe I'll put out a part two or a new edition. But yeah, definitely getting new cases fairly regularly. Uh, 10 or 20 new cases, which follow the same pattern that I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. And as a researcher, boy, I, mm, it's great. Don't get me wrong to find a new case, but you really want to have it in the book. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I missed that one. Uh, so, yeah, I really want people to know that this is a thing. And you make me laugh because you mentioned the photographer, you know, the guy who, you know, who takes a camera to the movies. Now that you've said all this, I'm going to go to my local drive-in, but I'll have my camera. Now, yeah. you have to watch out for this. That makes me want to go to the drive-in more. Well, in the modern cases, people, of course, have their cell phones with them. Yeah, yeah. There was a case in, oh, gosh, where was I? I think it was Nevada or Arizona. The lady, her name is Dee. Um, her whole family is watching these little red objects dart, drop down over the theater and dart around, and she whipped out her cell phone. It's like, Click, 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 click. But, you know, it's very hard to take pictures of the lights at night. Uh -huh. And uh, she just couldn't get any image on it. Uh, so I don't have any cases where people caught good photographs, mm -hmm. which, you know, like the schoolyard encounters, there's a good number. Well, not a good number, but a, a, certainly a, a few involving photographs, one involving moving films even. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, not with the driving theaters, which is frustrating. <laughs> 
But that's what I love about these cases is like, this is, you know, a CE5 where people kind of call down UFOs. Sure. We call these closing cars of the fifth kind. I'm not sure if that's a completely right. accurate term, but that's how they've been coined. People use meditation and lights to call down UFOs. And it occurred to me while writing this book, I'm like, well, you know, these are closing cars of the first kind, but wait a second. Every single one of these is technically a CE5 because it's our actions that provoked this sighting. If I can use that word, you know, initiated it in a way because, you know, it's us turning on these lights and parking there and all, you know, watching the movie that brought them down. So it's a great place. What I really love to see is a whole CE5 group say, let's go to the movies. <laughs> Everyone meditate before you know the show starts. Right. Have your flashlights ready. <laughs> Get your cameras. You know, do the whole CE5 protocols. Because that might work. You know, That's true. Yeah. So everybody I, I expect we will get more cases because if you go by year, right. Uh, it's, there's a case every year, pretty much throughout the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And I pat I put them on a map, right? Huh? First, I found a map of all the driving theaters, um, which you know basically just shows little black dots all across the U.S. Right. This is largely a U.S. phenomenon, driving theaters. Uh, there are some in Canada, and there's some in Europe and you know other places. Mm -hmm. but in terms of its popularity, it was largely uh, a phenomenon of the United States. And then I took a map, and this took a lot of work, of plotting each and every sighting that I found. Uh -huh. And I put this in the book, actually. And, uh, of course, it did match up with the map of the driving theaters. Not as many, because there was, you know, there's thousands of driving theaters right. back then. Uh, but I noticed an interesting pattern is that in terms of the timing, uh, it would appear in one location and then another of, you know, a few months later or a year later or, and then another. And it was, it, you know what it reminded me of was a concert tour <laughs> by a, a band or a musician or a book tour by an author mm -hmm. who goes and does a, a publicity campaign, a book tour to you know show off their product <laughs> right, and right. that's what they were doing and because it's rare that one theater is hit i guess i'll use that word hit more than once right uh, but it does happen the yuma theater in yuma arizona had three cases over a period of decades and of course that one at prince edward island in canada was right. happening so much there that they're like come to the theater you'll see a ufo <sighs> But yeah, I think that they know exactly what they're doing because this is exactly the pattern I found in the schoolyard cases where they go from one school to another, to another, to another, to another. And it's a very effective method. It's a, it's yeah. a really clever idea because the schoolyards are little kids. Uh -huh. So they're not really taken all that seriously, but they're certainly impressionable. So now we, our younger generations are pretty much full on believing in UFOs. But the drive-in theaters have adults and a lot of them. I mean, you have to be able to drive to get there. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot and more than the schoolyards, which typically are, you know, 50 kids or 100. Uh, these are on the low end, 50. And, I mean, there's a case in China 
at an outdoor theater, which turned tragic, actually. There was 3,000 people in Fujian, China, at an outdoor showing of a movie when two UFOs came swooping down so low over the crowd that they could feel the heat from these objects. So that's got to be within 500 feet. Wow. Um, it caused a panic when people just ran for their lives and over 50 people were severely injured, trampled, and two mm -hmm. children lost their lives. So that one breaks my heart because if the UFOs are trying to announce their presence, they had overdid it in that one. Uh, they underestimated how fear-based we are, I guess. Right. Uh, uh, so I don't think they intentionally cause panic. Uh, but that certainly did happen in that case. Uh, so, hmm, a big How long did it take you to amass all this information? Um, well, it's still ongoing. You know, that's what I've noticed. At some point, I'm like, well, you know, I've got 100 cases here. And it started to get a little repetitive. Uh -huh. You know, these are, cases are very similar. So there were some I just discarded. I'm like, well, you know, a light appeared and then it moved off. I'm like, interesting to me. But how interesting is the average reader going to find this? Uh, so after a, a year of researching this, I'm like, I think I've got enough to establish this as a pattern of UFO activity. But as any researcher knows, or really anyone who does anything creative or scientific, you're never done with your painting. You know, <laughs> you're you're never finished writing your book. You're never finished with your scientific study of right. plants or animals or whatever you're studying. It's ongoing. It's so I'm still studying this, hoping to discover more cases. Of course, yeah, I don't think it'll ever stop. Uh, you know, I wrote a book called UFOs over Topanga Canyon years ago, and I'm still contacted by people like I was there. <laughs> it was a wave of sightings in 1992 to 94, and every now and then a new witness pops up. I'm like, ah, and I write it down, and I'm like, mm, I'm gonna have to put on a new edition of that book. <laughs> And that was one of my first books, actually. Right, right, right. So, yeah, it's ongoing and never ends. It's quite annoying, but I love it. It's annoying and, and fun. <laughs> and again, do you think people are more willing to talk about them now nowadays than, than before? Hundred percent, especially in the last two, three, four years. I mean, there was a steady trend of this being more socially acceptable, uh -huh. and I noticed that because when I write a book, I'm like. You know, you can say no, it's totally up to you, but can I use your real name? Mm -hmm. And, you know, mostly in the beginning, people are like, mm, please don't, you know, I've got a job and I'm not, I haven't told everyone in my family. Mm -hmm. And someone, of course, say, yes, I, I, I don't care. <laughs> people may think I'm nuts. I don't care. I know what I saw. And now uh, people are much more likely to be like, go ahead. I'm okay mm -hmm. with it. Uh, and I think, you know, the recent, I want to put this in huge, giant, glowing air quotes, um, disclosures, because <laughs> they're not. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the Congress has admitted there's some validity to the UFO phenomena. They're not telling everything they know. But that step alone brought in a lot of people to this subject. It gave it legitimacy. It really did. It put it on the evening news on 60 Minutes. It gave people the courage to step forth. So now, you know, I'm getting emails, well, not daily, but almost. Mm -hmm. People are like, oh, you know, this happened to me, and I've never talked about it, but I feel like the time is now. 
So absolutely, yeah. Um, this subject is going mainstream. Disclosure is inevitable. Our governments are not going to do it, I don't think. Uh, but the ETs have already done it. Sure. Um, honestly, they have. One guy, I was looking at a case that which took place back in the 70s, I think. And this guy's talking to the ETs, Donald Shawcross from Virginia. And he says, why don't you just show yourselves to everybody? Mm -hmm. And they said, we have. <laughs> and I thought that was a good answer <laughs> because it's true. How many driving theater cases do you need? How many schoolyard cases? How many intense waves do they need to do before people will have the objective scientific sense to say, okay, this is real? You know, yeah, our governments are not going to disclose. The ETs have done it. The people, that's where disclosure is going to come from. It's inevitable. You can't hide the sky. You right. can't hide the truth. You can. I mean, you can try. Right. The truth survives. You can't destroy it. You can distort it. You can try to cover it up, but it remains what it is. So, yeah, in my mind, disclosure is inevitable. And so is open official contact at some point. It may take, I don't know how long. I hate to think of how long it would take. Right. Uh, I'm hoping not hundreds of years. I would love it to happen tomorrow. But I think open official contact will occur at some point. Well, I was going to say, do you think they're among us already? Yeah, I do, to a degree. Uh, certainly, there are indications of this with people who are contactees uh -huh. report seeing ETs in places you would not expect. And I did a whole study of this in one of my Not From Here books uh -huh. where I outlined just maybe a dozen cases. And every time you put out something like that, you know, a dozen more cases pop up of people uh -huh. seeing ETs in restaurants schools, mm -hmm. uh, bus stops, train stations. There was like four cases in casinos in Las Vegas. <laughs> uh, but yeah, gas station, uh, a subway. I mean, all over the place. And some of these are, I mean, you can recognize them in a number of different ways. There's three main patterns that I've looked for or certainly noticed. And that is these are humanoids of course but they look strange often it's their eyes that give them away people say they're very hypnotic overly large mm -hmm. uh, their skin is very pale they might have pointed ears or they're bald or i mean there was a case from whitley streber where the ets were in the bookstore and he's since gotten three separate verifications of that from people who you know saw the grays all bundled up, mind you, with oversized sunglasses. This is what they do. And that's the second pattern. You will see they bundle up. They wear weird clothes. People describe, you know, jumpsuits, of course, but oversized sunglasses, fisherman caps, scarves wrapped all around, gloves, even if it's summer, so that all their skin is almost covered completely. Uh, and another third indicator is strange behavior. Um, so these guys will do stuff that is not normal or ask questions which are super obvious that any human should know, uh -huh. don't know how to handle money or something, um, this sort of thing, little indicators like that. Yeah, I do think they're among us. Uh, I don't know any idea what kind of numbers that would be. Right. But there's, there's human-looking ETs out there. We know this. Right. So it would make perfect sense that if you could – I don't like that word infiltrate, but let's say commingle <laughs> um, 
you know, mingle. That's a good word. Go into the party and mingle. That's what, that's what they're doing. Do you think there's ever going to be a time? I mean, that when we get to the extent, like when you say when you're going to meet one, like that could be, it could be your neighbor across the street for all you know, you know, and eventually at some point there's going to have to be a, a time where, 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 where the guy from across the street comes out and says, hello, I'm from, you know, Alpha Centauri or someplace, you know, he shakes your hand. Yeah, I certainly hope so. Um, this is how some contactees report having their contacts. Mm -hmm. um, there was a guy, Ludwig, Paul, Ludwig Paulman, who had that experience. And he had befriended this guy who was quite unusual and very smart and very spiritual and, and eventually revealed that he was, in fact, an ET and proved it by taking him on board a craft. He was healed of liver disease in a hospital in Peru. Uh, yeah, he wrote a book about his case. There's mm -hmm. several cases of that. Timothy Good, an English researcher, specialized in cases like that in some of his books. He's written quite a bit about that sort of thing. He himself had an encounter at a hotel, which he sit, insists up and down was an ET. Um, he sat there at the, in the lobby and mentally called out, if there's any ETs around here, show yourselves. And he said this man sat down next to him reading a newspaper. He's like, okay, well, that could be a coincidence. And so he mentally called out, if you're an ET, touch your nose. And the guy went like this and turned and looked at him and quickly got up and walked away. <laughs> so, I mean, take that for what it's worth. It convinced him. And it wasn't his only experience like that. Absolutely. You know what, Preston, thank you so much. It's always fun to have you on. I love talking to you. I could talk to you all day. <laughs> I appreciate it, Charlotte. I always love doing your show, too. We have fun. <laughs> I'd like to get you back on again. Well, we will. We will. We'll get you back on. I want to thank everybody in the chat room. I see Dolly's out there. Who else is out there? Out in the chat world. We've got Michael Kennedy's out there. Uh, Dolly's out there. Jerry's out there. Oh, we all disappeared. Where'd it go? Wow. Oh, there they are. Too many clicks on my finger. Look at that. <laughs> Hello. The computer's been wonky the last couple of days. And uh, yeah. We got the Dana's out there, Dolly's out there, um, yeah, Michael's out, Michael Kennedy's out there, Jerry's out there, some so of my usual Pamela's out there. Thank everybody for coming tonight. I appreciate it. I'd love to have this gentleman on, and I can't wait to get him on again. Next book we want. What's next for you? Oh, I'm working on a couple of books. I'm going to put out Not From Here, Volume 5, shortly, another book on Very Close Encounters. I'm withholding the title until I, I get it out there because I don't want anyone to steal it. <laughs> it's hard to title a book these days. There's so many books out there. Right, right. But yeah, right that, that should be out this year. I want to put out a second volume of Symmetry with Dolly Saffron because we only touched the beginning of her experiences. So, yeah, big projects coming forward. Fantastic. And what's your website, Preston? It's prestondennett.weebly.com. So if you punch my name in, it should take you there. But yeah, I'm all over social media, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, tweet, Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> the bird. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And let's plan on getting you back on at some point. I'd love that. I, I yeah. love picking your brain. I love talking to you. It's, it's just a blast. It's a blast. <laughs> Thanks to everybody that came tonight in the chat room. I saw all your chats. I was actually able to read them for once. Life is good tonight. So, yeah. So, I got, who else is just, we got, oh, yeah. See, Jerry's here. Janice is here. Uh, Susan's here. Yeah, see, I see you all. I see you all. 
All right. Well, Kristen, you have a great rest of your evening and thank you so much. And thank you, everybody. Thank you, Preston. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. You have a great one. I sure will. Thanks, Charlotte. Bye bye. <laughs> bye. Okay, it's always fun to have Preston on. I always learn so much when he's on. So uh, that was that was really cool, and uh, it's always educational. I gotta keep remember, remembering to like paste contactees up there because I, I keep doing that. I keep doing that. It's a bad thing to do. People get you know. I don't want to insult anybody. Anyway, tomorrow we're gonna be kind of along the same line. Only our good friend Michael Brill, um, Michael Brill is going to be on with us, and he is going to be talking about traveling and running into the paranormal like maybe you pick up a hitchhiker in your vehicle when you're you know driving and they this is one of those deals where, where, where you go so far and turn around and then the hitchhiker's gone poof you know that kind of thing so we're going to be talking about paranormal travel tomorrow that'll be 6 30 p.m pacific thanks everybody for coming and i will see you guys tomorrow at 6 30 and i'll give you preston's contact information right now just to make sure you all have it but uh i want everybody to have a great evening and once again thank you here we go his website is prestondennett.weebly.com. UFOs at the drive-in. That's a great book. I'm, I, I want to really pour into it. Like I said, I, I have a drive-in down here on, along the street, and I, I want to check it out. Maybe something's happened there. I don't know. And some more mysteries, legends, and unexplained phenomena. And the other one is... Uh, <laughs> sorry guys it's like the light's really bright on me right now okay schoolyard ufo encounters onboard ufo encounters Preston Dennett. sorry about the other one like i said i've got two lights that are really bright and one's not even my regular light so it's having me issues books available at amazon.com guys all right i will see you tomorrow 6 30 p.m pacific have a great evening bye